Let's thank the Lord one more time this morning. Folks, doesn't it do your heart good to see this young generation stepping up into leadership? Uh, if you could have been here this week and if you could have seen how God uses these teenagers, we couldn't do what we do at Jam Camp without them. And I, I got to tell you, I am one proud pastor. I am proud to pastor this church and to pastor these young people. And uh, I, I just am grateful to see God moving the way that he is. So Ecclesiastes chapter 7. This morning we're continuing in our series where we're taking a look at understanding that without God, everything is meaningless. And today we're going to focus in on wisdom. And we got a lot of ground to cover this morning. And as we deal with this issue of wisdom, wisdom is something that all of us need to attain. But it's one of those things that as we talk about wisdom, you know what the truth is, as much as we need to attain it, it's something that we really, in some ways, can't ever fully attain. We're finite beings serving an infinite God. And there are always going to be moments where our understanding is lacking, where our knowledge may be lacking. But in the journey, as we walk with Jesus Christ, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we may not ever fully attain the fullness of all wisdom. What we do need to understand is that life is better when we live wisely. Amen? Amen. Life is better when we choose wisdom over folly and he said in the beginning chapters he's already dealt i told you these middle chapters are the why these middle chapters you know the first ones are just statements blanket statements he actually says and you're going to see why in these verses early on he says that wisdom increases trial wisdom increases suffering and increases pain we realize that we remember what it was like when we were young we were carefree right we went out and we played in the yard and we played with the hose and we did slip and slides and we, we threw water balloons and we just played all day. We really weren't giving any thought toward eternity. We weren't really giving any thought towards uh, the end of our life. We were just celebrating the blessing of life. And don't we just wish that we could keep life that simple? I mean, we really long for the statement that ignorance is what? Is bliss. But the longer you live the more you're going to know. And you're going to learn the reality of life. And you know what the reality of life is? That we live in a broken world. That we suddenly come to the realization that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And we come to the realization that even as believers in Jesus Christ, this world is filled with struggle and trial. But he tells us today, don't lose hope. You know why? Because even in the darkest moments of our life, God is stirring. God is moving. God is never out of control. And what he says is there are really two types of people in this world, those that live with wisdom and those that live foolishly. And he's going to bid us today, as I am going to bid you today, to choose to live life wisely. So the question this morning for all of you is simply this. Do you want to live wisely? You see, because you have to answer that question, and until you answer the question, until you think about the question, 
until you meditate on the question, until you get before God and honestly look him in the face and say to God, I want your wisdom. I want to live a life of wisdom. I don't want to live the life of a fool. You have to come to the place in life where you answer that question for yourself. Do you want to live wisely? Because if you do want to live wisely, Solomon gives us some choices that we need to make. He shows us what wisdom looks like. Now, obviously, he can't hit every aspect of wisdom, but I'm going to tell you what he does hit in these verses does well to cover many aspects of our life of what it means to live wisely as a follower of Jesus Christ. So as we go through these verses, I want you to know we're going to hit them as we go. Rather than reading the whole, we're going to because it's a long section, we're going to hit it as we are going. So let me begin in chapter 7, verse 1 of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to stop really at the first verse because this first verse is very important. He says, a good name is better than a good ointment. Now, you're going to find that in these verses, he's going to use that word better numerous times. And every time he uses the word better, it, it kind of makes us scratch our head a little bit because some of the things that he's stating without thinking, without really opening your ears and your eyes to what God is saying to you, what he is going to say today is going to kind of be a shock to your system. You're going to want to debate with God. You're going to want to argue with the words of Solomon in this book. But I'm telling you, the words are true. And he begins with saying that a good name is better than good ointment. How many of y'all like perfume? Cologne. We like those things. You know why? Because what do they do? They make us smell good. I mean, all of us want to walk up into a crowd and have everybody go, wow, somebody smells really nice, rather than, darn, somebody needs to put on some deodorant. <laughs> right? I mean, and that's the reaction that we, we, we all want, we all long for. And you know what he's saying? He puts these two things together because that word ointment and other verses that uses the word, word perfume or, or it has to do with the scent, right, of a body. He's saying that in the same way, our name causes a reaction among people. When someone says our name, do people immediately say, they're a godly man or woman? Do they immediately say that, boy, when they're in the room, they bring life to a room? When they walk in the room, that's what it means to be righteous. That's what it means to be holy. That's what it means to be open and honest and transparent and authentic. They are living a life where they seem to be honoring God because in, in some translations it uses the word reputation for name. And the reason it uses that is because really reputation, it's a funny word. Because a reputation, if you look at it at the core of its meaning, it's what people think about you. And the reality is, sometimes our reputation doesn't match what the reality of our lives are. Sometimes we can put on a mask. Sometimes we can put on a front, and people can mistakenly think we're one thing when we're really not that. That's not what the author is talking about here. That's why translations like the NASB, they use the word name. This is who you are. This is what is evident in your life. And what he says is that we have to live our life wisely, knowing that a good name, our name, and not just our name, but I want you to remember, just like when Daddy told me, when you leave the house, son, you're bearing my name. So I don't want people to think this or that when they hear the name Wallace, so act right. 
Act in a manner that, that, that's worthy of the name, right? And folks, I'm bearing even the name Wallace as much as I've tried to live up to a certain name and expectation that my father would have for me. That's not the greatest name that I bear. The greatest name that I bear is that I am a Christian. Literally means a little Christ. And that I want, when I walk into a place, for people to see that not only has Christ saved me, not only do I say with my mouth that I believe in Jesus, but I want them to know that the same Jesus that saved me is the same Jesus that is transforming me to be conformed to the image of Jesus. I want people to see Jesus in me. Because I'm going to tell you something. A good name is better than a good ointment. What is the aroma of your life like? Because I'm going to tell you something. The thing about a reputation is this. A reputation, a name, you know what? It's built, and this is the hard reality. It's built a little at a time, isn't it? Like if you're building a wall, it's just one brick at a time. And what is so tragic is, and, and we have, this is what it means to live wisely. We have to understand that, that, that in a moment, everything that's been built can be what? Can be torn down. It takes forever to build it. What does it take? How long does it take to knock it down? Just a moment. And God is telling us here, pay attention. I've given you a name. Your name matters. And what do people think when they hear that name? Choose to have a good name. Secondly, choose to live with the end in mind. I love the way he puts it. He says that the way of the, the I'm sorry, the day of one's death in verse one is better than the day of one's birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to a house of feasting, because it is the end of very man. It is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. See, that is a strange verse. That's stranger than the first one. Because most of us would not say that, you know what, it's better to go to a house of mourning. Most of us would not say better is the way, day of one's death. Most of us would say we want to avoid that at all costs. Death is not something we look forward to. Death is not something that we want. How in the world could Solomon, the wisest man in the world, be saying to us that those are better, that the day of mourning is better, that the day of our death is better than our birth? You may not realize it, but death frames your life. These two things are what frame us. The day we're born and the day that we die. Most of us on average will have 27,000 days in between those two days. If we're not careful, it's easy to waste our life. You see, time is that one precious commodity we can't... We can't find more of it. it. It doesn't exist. You can get more of anything else in the world, but you can't get more time. And the reality for all of us is we have to learn to live with the end in mind. We have to learn to live. Wisdom is the person that lives with the destination in mind. Think about our GPS today. When you utilize GPS, you want to get from one place to another. So if you're going to use GPS, what do you do? You get in the car. And you turn the car on, maybe, and GPS pops up, and you have to put what in? you got to put in the destination. 
Because without putting in the destination, it has no idea where to go. It has no idea what you want. You'll just see a blip and you'll just be driving all over everywhere hoping that one day you might get to the destination. But the reality is you probably will not. And if you're going to live life the way God designed and wants you to live life, then you have to live with the destination in mind. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know where you're going. And the reason he says that the day of your death is better than the day of your birth and why it's better to mourn, I mean, basically he says it's better to go to a funeral than a party. Let me tell you why that is. Because I see it on the faces every time that I do a funeral. When you're living life as a party, when you're living life without, I mean, remember we talked about like when we're young, when, when we have no responsibilities, we have no thought for eternity. I don't know that I really thought about death until I was in my mid-30s, and it started to become real to me. Before that, I just thought I was invincible. I, just, I never considered eternity. I'll be honest, I never really thought that hard about the day that I'm going to stand before Jesus, and what do I want to hear him say? I don't know about you, but there's a destination. There, there's two that are coming, heaven and hell, with God, without God. There's, there's two statements that we're going to hear. We're either going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, welcoming us into eternity and into rest, or we're going to hear. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity? I never knew you. Your house was built on sand. The judgment's going to tear it down. And you're going to realize that there's no foundation. You never heard the word of God and believed the word of God and lived the word of God. You never lived with an understanding of the destination. You never lived believing that one day you might actually stand before God. You know why funerals are important? It's because in that moment, I get people in front of me that I would never get in front of me any other time. They would never walk in the doors of this church until someone they love has died. And I love it because people always say, well, Pastor Aaron, I want you to preach the gospel. I kind of chuckle inside because I'm like, well, thank you very much because I'm going to do it whether you ask me to or not. And the worst thing you can do is say, Pastor Aaron, I don't want you to talk about Jesus at this funeral because my answer will be, you need to find someone else to do it. You know why? Because there is no better moment than that moment. When they are considering the fact that that could just as easily be them in that body. And that's why he says that the day of death the moments that we go through suffering and trial, the days that we have to think about eternity and, and life, that's when God really begins to speak and move in us. And he says it's better. And so you have to live wisely by choosing to recognize that, that we are living for eternity. We are looking towards the day of our death more than we are looking at this life. We are living with the end in mind that we are passing through here. We're strangers. We're aliens. Listen, this, this, this world is, is like a tent. Nobody's going to live in a tent forever. Nobody wants to live in a tent forever. This isn't home. One day, he says that at the end of every man, when, when we realize death is coming, 
He says that's when the living start to take it to heart. That's when they start to consider. He says sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart can be happy. Don't be fooled. I've been in two types of funerals. There's only two types. Those that people are mourning as those who have no hope and those who are mourning as they have hope. If you were ever in this room when we buried Jude Behoff, I don't know that I've ever sat in this room with a more joy-filled moment. And even in the midst of faces that look sad, you know what else there was? A happiness that she had her reward. A happiness that she lived a life that was well lived. Sometimes lives that have been through tragedy and you see the, the weight of life even on their face. You don't know that buried beneath all that has happened and all that has been. That God has moved in miraculous in mighty ways. Not just in the good times of life. Because what we want is we want sorrow to not be better than laughter we want laughter to be better but you know what he says the person who goes through life laughing all the time never considering eternal things never considering things that matter life's just a big party you know what the end is for them right they traded their souls for the world he says but if you'll let me shape your life in the midst of the struggle that is life he says, all day, every day, sorrow is better. Because what you realize is that through the journey, God's been working and God's been moving. I would say that you don't even really begin to learn life until you go through tragedy. I've watched cancer soften people. Nothing changes you more than when a doctor steps in a room and says, you have six months to live. I've watched people step into hard situations where maybe they're born with a child with, with very difficult needs. And I've watched those people become so compassionate and where they didn't see before what families went through and they were maybe so impatient before about things going on in others' lives. Suddenly, have you ever noticed that when we go through a struggle like that, it makes us more cognizant of what others are suffering through around us and our life gets better. Why? Because we start to see reality. That this is how the world is living around us. And as much as we try to push it down and not face it, God doesn't leave us that option. Thirdly, he says, choose to lament openly. Now, that's a weird statement too. He says, the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning and with the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. You see, we love to celebrate openly, don't we? We have no problem. When something good happens in life, we want to tell everybody. We want to get on the phone. We want to put it on Facebook. We want to deal with all that stuff. But most of us don't understand lamenting. That in life, you have to choose to deal with what is. I mean, in fact, there's a book of the Bible. Guess what it's called? Lamentations. The lamenting of the destruction of Jerusalem because of their sinfulness. And their idolatry and their walking away from God. And literally what we find is that most of the prophets' messages were an open lamentation. 
of what is happening around, not burying it, not hiding it, not acting as if it's not happening. You see, most of us, I mean, this is what church has become for most of us, that church really has become a mask. We go to church, and what do we say? Everything's fine. Man, my life is fantastic. The last thing many of us would ever do in this room is sit down, and when someone asks you that question, to answer honestly and say, listen, my marriage is that close. I am so overwhelmed with my children right now, I, I don't even know what to do. I have been hurt so deeply, I don't know how to forgive. You see, most of us, even in a place like this, where that's what should be happening, have you noticed that so little, or there's so few times that that actually happens? That we can be that transparent and that honest? And so we celebrate all the good in life, but it's as if we're afraid to deal with the reality. Lamenting is part of the public life of a person. We feel this constant pressure to maintain a facade. All is well. I'm winning at life. Forgetting that even Jesus himself openly lamented. We have to share all of our life, folks, not just the easy parts. Because sorrow is going to let us work through our grief. It's going to let us stop pretending that all is well. Sorrow welcomes others into our grief because that's where friendship is forged. Tragically, the opposite is a fool who thinks... Let's just keep having a good time. Let's drink. Let's dance. Let's laugh through our problems. Let's ignore and avoid our pain. Folks, it's time that we sit before God honestly when we're hurting, when we're struggling. It's time that we sit honestly before the people of God and talk about when we're hurting and when we're struggling. Fourthly, we have to choose, and you'll see how these all just connect. Choose to listen and to walk with the wise. Now, this is an interesting statement because he keeps on with these better statements. He said it's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man. Now, that's, that doesn't sound right. Have you ever been rebuked? Have you ever had somebody walk up and say, you're in sin? What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is an affront to God. You need to repent. At that moment, you don't usually, you're not usually sitting there going, thank you, brother, that, that is a blessing. I appreciate you coming by my office today and letting me know that. No, what do we do? We want to get angry. We want to get mad. We want to put the people at arm's length. We want to say they don't love us. They don't. You know what? That person that has walked up and openly rebuked you, you know why they've done it, hopefully? Is because they love you. Most of us, you know, we live with the reality of like, you know, the two people on each shoulder. You ever, you know, you think about, you know, you got the devil on one side, you got a, maybe an angel on the other, or the Lord speaking to you on the other. You know, you think in those terms. Well, there is a reality to that because the Spirit of God is always speaking, but there's also the world, the flesh, and the devil that are speaking to you. And you got to learn to live with one ear open and one ear closed, and you got to know which ear to have open and which ear to have closed. Because a wise man is looking for wise friends. 
A wise man is looking for people in their life that will speak the truth even when it's hard into their ears because it says, listen, better, better. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. We live in a generation that wants to have our ears tickled. Don't tell us what we need to hear. Tell us what we what? Just what we want to hear. Tell me everything's going to be okay. Tell me I'm going to be free of this disease. Tell me that I'm not going to have to walk through this difficulty. Tell me. Listen. There are times that we have got to be sure of the voices that we are listening to. He says, for as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot... So is the laughter of the fool. This too is humility, or I'm sorry, is futility. What he means there, if you ever burn thorns, thorns burn very hot. And when they burn, they crackle, they pop. The way the wood is made on those dry thorns, they just pop and they crackle. And he says that's what's happening for most of us. We surround ourselves with people that, number one, you know what the truth is? They don't really care about us. Because they won't even speak the truth to us. Again, they just tell us what we want to hear. Now, folks, we got to learn to speak truth and love. Amen. Uh, it doesn't mean we walk around and we beat people up with a Bible and we just go around trying to make people feel guilty all the time and trying to, to just ruin them and make them feel bad so we feel better. That's not at all what he's talking about here. But a true friend speaks the hard words to a brother. And that soothes and it heals and it helps. He says the other, it's like that stuff that's, you know, just real loud. And it seems passionate and hot in the beginning, but once it burns for just a few minutes, what's happened to it? It's just gone, just like that, the thorns that are burning. They're gone in a moment. You see, he's giving us a picture here of the people that we choose to have in our life. The wise and the foolish are both, uh, and, and haven't we found this to be true? The, the wise and the foolish, that means pretty much anybody is happy to tell you what they think, right? Have you noticed that about people? Baptists especially. There's three Baptists, they got ten opinions. How does that happen? We're happy to tell you what we think. And, and it doesn't matter if you're wise or foolish, but the key is the person that is listening. Because fools tend to be shallow and unable to swim into the deep waters of life. A fool fades fast. A fool speaks loudly in the beginning with a lot of emotion and makes a lot of promises. At the beginning of a trial, but they're long gone before the real work ever begins. Fools don't really count the cost of walking with someone through a hard season, so they say a whole lot but they do very little. You see, so you've got to figure out who are you letting in your life and who are you listening to? Do you have the people in your life that can speak? I mean, number one, we need to be able to listen to the Spirit over our enemy, right? But understand that, too, God uses people and His Spirit speaks through other people when we're hard-hearted, when we are stiff-necked, when we refuse to listen Sometimes you know what God does. He works through someone else and brings them into your life. And you have to learn and choose to listen and open your ear to the wise. And you've got to learn to close your ears to the foolish.
That's what it means to live wisely. Fifth, choose to finish well. Boy, this is a great section of Scripture. He says the end of a matter in verse 8 is better than the beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. That verse is so packed with, with great thoughts. I want you to understand that when we say you must choose to finish well, it means that you have to understand that the end is better than the beginning. We already hit that a little bit with the second point. Uh, but let me give you the example of what he means here. What he's saying is, I mean, let, let's, say, let's use it in terms of marriage. When is the time of marriage when it's all the celebration and all the pomp and circumstance and everything is so easy and everybody is so joyful and it's just this big celebration? When is that? At the very beginning. I mean, listen, the easiest day of your marriage is the day that you stand up and make all of those promises because at that moment, guess what? It's just what? It's just what? It's just, well, it's joy, but it's just words. Anybody can get up and say anything on that day. You realize that, right? And it's funny because that's where all the celebration is. And the moment before any of it's been tested. And the moment before we know whether any of those words are true, whether they meant any of them, because anybody can say, I will love you forever. Remember junior high? How many times did you hear that? I'll cherish you. I'll respect you. I'll honor you. Till death do us part. Better or worse, right? Rich or poor. Sickness and in health. Nothing's going to move me from your side. We've all said those words. But you know when we ought to celebrate? And I'll be honest, this is where this better stuff, it, 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 I've seen it. I'm telling you, I see it. All the time. You know when, it to, in my mind, the best time to celebrate is? Not at the wedding, but at the funeral. When after 65 years, you see that widower, that widower sitting there faithfully. After all of that journey, after kids, which will suck the life out of you. After all the fights over money, over the careers that we have, all the tragedies that we face from the loss of children to sickness, through, through all, just all that life brings. You know when the time to celebrate really is? Is at the end of it all, when they finish well. Why? Because the end is better than the beginning. Isn't it, Bill? How many years? 57 years. Hasn't been easy. No, I, I worked for him. I know it wasn't easy. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, the, the truth is, it's never easy. But listen, when you hang on and you keep your covenant and your commitment, it gets better and it gets better and it gets better. And unfortunately, many people don't believe that and they just give up and the end comes much sooner than God intended. I don't know about you, I want to be that 85-year-old couple that you just, you ever see them in McDonald's? And you're like, man, they finish each other's sentences, 
He's pull, I mean, it's like they're dating new. He's pulling out the chair, and he's pushing it up. I mean, because it takes a lifetime to learn to love like that, doesn't it? Love gets stronger, and it gets better. Think about the end. Choose to finish well because it's not how we start that matters. It's how we finish, that we persevere. It's not uh, just what's happening in the middle. Wise people know that in the middle there is going to be difficulty. There is going to be sin. There is going to be consequence for sin. But with wisdom, by God's grace, they navigate through life faithful to the end. And at the end, there's something to show for it. Six, choose to control your anger. This is a good one for many of us to know. It says, do not be eager in your heart to be angry. Some of us, it seem like to be angry. It says, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. You see, I mean, this is a, it's kind of a poor illustration, but I'll give it anyways. I'm not calling you dogs, just listen to the illustration. You ever have a dog that you're afraid of? That dog that what it does over and over, I mean, there's really two types of dogs. You got those dogs that are, I mean, and you, and you want a little bit of both. You don't want the dog that when the robber comes up to the door, they roll over on their belly like, scratch me, right? Because part of the reason you have the dog is for protection. And you know that there are times where you want the dog to bark, where you want the dog to maybe bare its teeth a little bit and its fur to get up a little bit, but, but you don't want the dog to always act like that. And you see, we live in such extremes. We live in one world or the other, and God says, look at your life. If you want to know what wisdom is, you've got to figure out anger in your life because there are many of us, we are always living on the verge of anger. And we're like that dog that is almost always, I mean, when you have a dog like that, I got one that lives right behind me. That thing is scary. It's a black lab. I've never seen a black lab as scary as that black lab. Every time it sees you, you think, that dog hates me. That dog will chew my face off. Did you realize that there are children who have dads that that's the way it feels? They have moms that's the way it feels. There's no gentleness. There's no love. Uh, there's no kindness. There's no patience. I, I mean, uh, dads, moms, it's okay to have our kids see that we're wagging our tail with delight. Some of us, one of the biggest reasons we're struggling and living foolishly in this world is we've never grown to control our anger. He says wisdom demands that we control our anger, that, it, that there is a place for anger, and there are things we should be angry about, but when we live our life showing our teeth, it's not what God has for us. Seventh, he says, choose to live looking forwards, not backwards. Now, this is an important one. Because it says, do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? He says, there are many people, you know what they're doing? They're looking life, living backwards. Rather than going forwards, they're looking at the past. It doesn't matter only what you've done. 
in the past. It matters who you are in this moment. Today literally is the only day that, that anything can be done for you because you don't know what tomorrow brings and you can't change what has been the past, but you can live today, right? With the end in mind, with a goal in mind, with a destination in mind, but today is the day that you've got to learn to really look at and know that this is where I can make life change. This is where my eternity can change. This is where the eternity for others can change. Right here in this moment. But most of us can't go forward. You know why? Because we can't stop looking backwards. And if you're trying, I mean, put it this way. If you're trying to run a race, let's say we're doing hurdles. If all you're worried about is what the people behind you are saying, if all you're worried about is your past, right? I mean, think about, think about this illustration. If you're going to run a hurdle race, if you're looking and consumed with what is behind you, what is going to happen? You're going to fall, not just once, not just twice, but every hurdle you're never going to see because you can't focus on what lies ahead because you are so busy looking at what lies behind. Same illustration Jesus gave about the farmer. He says once he puts his hand to the plow, what does he have to do? He's got to keep look forward because if he looks back, what's going to happen? Instead of the straight line that he's been told and, and that he's supposed to be putting down in the field, it's going to be all over the place. Some of you today need to hear this. Let your sin get behind you. You can't change it. You can't undo it. You need to be responsible for the consequences that you're probably going to face for it. Accept it, receive it, and move on in a different direction. Choose a new course. Don't be like, like uh, uh, Lot's wife, who God called her out. God actually gave her freedom. God actually was trying to save her from the condemnation and judgment that was coming. And instead of moving forward, what did she do? She, she, she longed for what she was losing. Some of you feel like if I follow Jesus and, I, and I, you just keep looking back like, well, maybe Egypt was better. Egypt was never better. The life you had before Christ, I'm telling you, was never better. And if you keep looking back as if it is better, listen, you're going to trip. You're going to fall. You're going to end up back in bondage again. What Christ has lying ahead of you is far better than what you ever had behind you. Run. Run keeping your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith. Run believing that every promise is true. Run with an end in mind. Look at the finish line and don't take your eyes off the finish line. You have to choose it if you're wise. Number eight, choose wisdom over knowledge and wealth. See, wisdom is something that you literally have to choose. Wisdom, along with an inheritance, is good. So God's saying right here, there's nothing wrong with wisdom, and there's also nothing wrong with what? What's an inheritance, basically? I don't know about you. If I think I'm getting an inheritance, I think I'm getting what? Money, right? It may be in the form of a house or land or whatever, but inheritance equates money. And he's saying that, that there's nothing wrong with money. Money can actually make life a little bit easier, can it? But you know what he says it can't do? He says it can't save you. It can't. Even knowledge, if you have all the knowledge in the world, if you don't apply the knowledge and it becomes wisdom, then all the knowledge of the world is for naught. 
You can know what God says and never do it, and you are the fool that built his house on sand. If you're going to navigate the seas of life, there are two oars that God gives you that are particularly good. He wants to bless you, yes, with some level of wealth. And when I say some level of wealth, I mean he will meet your needs. He will meet your needs. You are wealthy because the God of heaven sees you. You are his, and he promises you he will meet every need that you have. You are wealthy. See, some of you are you're bristling. You're like, well, I ain't wealthy enough. See, that's where the love of money starts to become a problem because you think God plus money. Then I'm, then I'm living. No, just God. Giving you exactly what you need, and if he blesses you with more, it's because he wants to make you responsible for more. If he gives you more, he wants you to give more. But he says right here in these verses, wisdom and not wealth is what saves your life. Wisdom is greater than knowledge. The reality is fools and the wise, they find their boat hitting the same waves, headed toward the same rocks. But wise people figure out how to navigate around and through disaster while fools just continue to shipwreck their lives. Because you know what the reality is? There's nothing that you're facing that anybody else isn't facing, whether they're lost or saved. It doesn't make a difference. We're all living this life, facing the same trials. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said, right? It's how you respond. It's what you do. If you don't know God's word, then how in the world do you know how to navigate the pitfalls and the trials and the rocks? And he goes on and says, number nine, choose to remember that we must accept the good and the bad. I love these statements that he makes here. He says, consider the work of God in verse 13, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, consider. God has made one as well as the other so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. What he's basically saying there is as believers, we have to choose to remember that we must accept the good and the bad. If you went mountain climbing tomorrow with me and we were sitting at the base of a very large mountain, you know what the reality is? Instinctively, we would think, what's the quickest way to the top? Take off. There's, a, there's the peak of the mountain. Let me just start where I am, and let me just go straight. But you know what the problem is with that, right? <laughs> You'll never get there that way. Because you ain't going to get ten steps, and guess what you're going to hit immediately? You're, gonna, you're probably going to hit a tree. If you just say, I'm just going straight, you're going to just bump your head every two steps. And you're going to come to places that you literally can't navigate. And if you try, you're probably going to die trying. 
And what you think may be the quickest route, you know what, if you go this way, you may find it safer. You may actually find it faster than if you go straight. You know what the problem is for most of us? We don't trust God to navigate our lives. God is telling you sometimes, you know what, you need to zig over here, and then you need to zag over there. You know what, God has put switchbacks in our life where he takes us this way, and we're thinking, why in the world are you taking me this way? But he has a purpose, doesn't he? He has a plan, doesn't he? And then at the right moment, he tells you, you know what, I need you to turn, and I need you to go back this way. And we hit a switchback, and we start going, and we feel like we're not going anywhere, but the reality is, guess what we're doing? We're climbing. We're reaching the goal probably in the safest, best, fastest way, but we just don't trust that that is true. And so when God gives us something, we want to decide whether it's good or bad. Well, let me tell you something. God only does what is good. Don't shake your fist at God. Don't tell God that you think that your way is the best way. You're going to end up falling off a cliff. You're going to end up falling in a hole. You're going to end up bonking your head on every tree that's in front of you because you refuse to receive the direction from his hand. And recognize that what actually looks bad to you is actually part of God's good plan. You see, wise men realize that. That you know what the truth is? That which is good... He says you have to receive it as from God, as good. And what you receive as bad, guess who that's from too? They're both from him. You don't say, oh, that's the devil. Listen, the devil is a pawn. The devil only does, or does that's, good, that's horrible English. He only does, he only does what the Lord allows him to do. He has to go, guess what, hat in hand to get anywhere near you. Because you're in Christ, in God. You're in the very hand of God. He can't get to you on his own. The question is, are you willing to accept what God gives, whether it's good or bad? I would dare say that in his economy, if you don't believe me, let's go to Romans. He makes all things good, doesn't he? If you love him, if you're called according to his purposes... Guess what? He'll make all things good. The question is our faith. The question is, can we believe that? Can we trust that? You see, there are times of prosperity, but there's also times of poverty. There are times of health. There's times where we fall. There's times where we struggle. And it's easy to sing God's praises when times are wonderful But I dare say you could learn that the Bible is true and it may be much tougher, but you can also praise when things are awful. I've seen it. That's one of the blessings of being a pastor. There's a lot of hard things about being a pastor, but one of the blessings is you get to actually watch people live out the faith. And I've seen people in tragic situations never lose their faith, continue to praise God, and I watch what James says in chapter 1 become absolutely true. Count it all joy when you go through various trials. I've seen people do it. The 
It's what faith looks like in the face of pain. We can't always see what God is doing, but we can turn to him knowing that he never leaves us and he never forsakes us and that his plans are always good. Number 10, choose to avoid ruinous self-righteousness and deadly wickedness. This is a confusing statement, probably very misinterpreted. He says, I've seen everything during my lifetime of futility. He says, there's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life even in his wickedness. So he says bad things seem to happen to good people, and good things seem to happen to bad people. He's saying you've got to come to grips with that. You've got to come to grips with it because in the end, what happens? And don't get caught up in what's happening today. Get caught up in what's going to happen at the end of the day. God will make it right. God will judge rightly. God sees you. God knows you. And he's saying, don't get caught up in all of those things that you're seeing around you. He says, what you need to focus on is don't be excessively righteous and overly wise. Why would you ruin yourself? Now, you want to say there, wait a minute. So God's telling me I ain't got to be wise or righteous? No, that's not what he's saying. Because then he turns around and it gets more confusing. Don't be excessively wicked and do, and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Some people translate that to mean, oh, there's just balance in life. You know, you don't have to be super good, but you don't want to be super bad. That's not what it's saying. What he's saying is that there's a danger on both sides. When he talks about this righteousness, don't be overly righteous, what he's saying is don't think more of yourself than you ought to. Remember you're a sinner. Remember that you're frail. Remember that you're only one step from stupid, right? Always. And he wants you to know and he wants you to realize that you need to be humble before him. That you need to recognize every day your need for him and that if you didn't have him, you could do nothing. He's saying, don't think yourself so wise and so righteous that you forget how much in desperate need you are of God. And he says on the flip side, he says, don't take the opposite extreme and just live as if there is no God and just choose wickedness over and over and over. He says, because all you're doing and you don't know it is shortening your life. Because sin, guess where it always leads? Well, that's just for unbelievers. No, no. That's for you, believer. Sin always leads to the same place. It destroys, it kills. Every time. And he says, don't be self-righteous. But on the other end, don't live as if you have no call to holiness and righteousness in your life. And lastly, choose to fear the Lord. Because if you fear the Lord, you will not need to fear anything else. Now, isn't that good news? He said it's good for you to grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. He's talking about the things we just talked about. For the one who fears God, listen, comes forth with both of them. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good. That makes the point we just talked about. And who never sins. Also, do not take seriously all the words which are spoken so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. You also have to realize that you do likewise and have many times cursed others. I tested all this wisdom and I said I will be wise, but it is far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. He's saying wisdom is hard to gain and hard to grab hold of. Who can discover it? I directed my mind to know. He said, I, I investigated all about wisdom and explanation. And he said, I also investigated what it meant to be foolish and evil and foolish of, and mad. He says, I investigated all of it. And I discovered more bitter than, de than the death of a woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands 
are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I am still seeking, but I have not found one man among a thousand, and I have not found a woman among all of these. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. What God is saying here is when you choose to fear the Lord, you don't need to fear anything else. You don't need to fear sin because he's conquered sin. You need to be cognizant. You need to be aware of the potential to fall in your life, but you don't have to live as if you can't conquer sin. Yes, sin is there. You sense it. You know it. You fall into it. But he says, get up, repent, confess. I will clean you. I will forgive you. How you can live righteously. He says, don't even worry about what other people are saying. If you're fearing me, quit worrying about the gossip. That's what he was saying there. He says, you're listening to your servants and they're gossiping about you. Don't give any ear to that and remember that you're as bad a gossip as they are. That's what he said. Quit worrying about what everybody else says. What matters the most? Just what God says. So stop worrying about that. And he says, and don't worry even about the rampant sin that is around you. He talked about the woman who plays the harlot and tries to snare men. He says, men of righteousness won't be snared by those women. But those who are fools, they're easily snared. And he finished by saying, you know what, I look around this world... And it's hard to find even one wise man or man among a thousand. Doesn't that still feel true today? <laughs> I mean, doesn't it? It's like he's writing in our times. Why? Because the Bible's relevant. <laughs> we don't have to make it relevant. It is relevant. And so today as these teenagers come, I want to challenge you today which of these 11 things are you doing well have you already dealt with and chosen in your life but i want you to look i hope that you wrote them down because i hope that you put them somewhere i hope that you put them on your mirror i hope that you put them in your car i hope that every day that you get up you will read through this list and choose to live wisely, choose to go a different path than the path that you have been dealing with. There are some of you in this room, you are like that dog that is always angry and you know it. That's what you need to get before God about today and say, God, help me to live wisely, to realize the importance of controlling my emotions. Letting you work in me. God, some of you need to say, my name in the community is not a good name. If you ask everybody at church, I have a good reputation. But the reality is my life out there in the world, I don't, I don't have a good name. It's time today to make those things right and to ask God to give you the wisdom. Some of you are not living with the end in mind. Some of you are not being transparent and authentic about your struggles. There are so many things in here today that we could take that list and we could probably say I'm living wisely here but I'm not living wisely here. I'm not living wisely here. And I encourage you today, choose wisdom. And this is so much of what wisdom looks like. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for wisdom. Lord, because you are our wisdom. You are our life. And Lord, the more we give ourselves to you and let you control us, Lord, the more 
Lord, the more our life is so good. Lord, that we could sit in the midst of trial and say thank you. That we could sit in the midst of suffering and, and know that you're moving. And Lord, it, it makes us like a rock. Because we're founded in you and we believe in you. Lord, change us. Transform us in this moment. Lord, there may be someone here that doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that today they would surrender to you. They would ask you to forgive them of their sins. And that today they would reach out to the God that created them and, and cry out with their whole heart, save me. Change me. That they would believe that you sent your son to die on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. That they would believe those truths of the scripture. And that they would follow you today. Lord, if there's someone here that hasn't done that, I pray they'll pray right where they are for forgiveness. That they will tell you, Lord, I desire with all my heart to follow you and surrender my life to you. That they would believe what Jesus has done for them. And Lord, for so many of us today, we're believers. But yet we need this message. So God, as this band sings, may we pray, may we close our eyes and speak to you today. Because Lord, you've spoken and you deserve a response, not just to sing, but Lord, to pray, to, to take what you've said and let you use it in our lives. So Father, move today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.